Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The premed year, session number 348. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to The Pre-Med Years. I hope you are having a great week. I'm excited about our podcast today, one with Dr. Elaine Reno, talking all about shadowing. Now, I want to use this time to also talk about findshadowing.com. It's our new project here at MedEd Media, helping you find a physician to shadow. And in the future, hopefully we can expand this to PAs and nurses and physical therapists, etc. But right now we're focusing on pre-meds and physicians. Now, as you go to findshadowing.com right now, there's probably nothing for you to do. You could search, but you can't really do anything yet because there probably aren't many physicians in the database, and we're hoping to change that. We are actively out there finding physicians. I have a team dedicated to this. I have hired someone full-time to go out there and find physicians to get into our database, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard to convince a physician to take some time out of his or her day to to have a student shadow them, but it's worth it. And I hope that we can get enough physicians into this database that we can make a dent in the shadowing world. And I hope that you as a pre-med student can find use in this. Again, that's findshadowing.com. And why I mentioned findshadowing.com is today we're talking all about shadowing and how to find it, how to do it, how to not be uh, a nuisance while you are shadowing, and so much more. That's what we're going to talk about with Elaine right now. Elaine, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to have you back on. This is not your first time on the podcast, but I'm excited to have you back on to talk about something that students 
number one, freak out about because it's very hard to find. And then number two, freak out once they do find it, they're like, okay, now what do I do and how do I act and and what do I need to say and, and not say? Um, and of course, I'm talking about shadowing, the, the, the kind of quintessential pre-med activity that I think haunts a lot of students. And you get a lot of students shadowing. But before we jump into that, let's remind students who maybe haven't heard you before, or maybe those who have, but it's been a while. Talk about kind of your role in the whole medical education world. So that's a great question. So I am a physician. I'm in faculty at a medical school at the University of Colorado, and I run a class for undergraduates who are interested in healthcare-related careers. And we have them come out to the CU campus, and they spend a week on campus with us um, doing a whole bunch of things like doing interviews, prep, and going to career panels, and obviously you come and talk. Um, and just kind of a neat experience for all the students. Um, and then we go up to the mountains for a week and they spend a week in a outdoor setting, um, learning wilderness first aid. And so through um, being the course director for the class, I have put hundreds and hundreds of students through shadowing experiences. Some of them good, some of them not so good. Yeah. So, so. we're, we're going to talk all about what makes good shadowing, what makes bad shadowing. Um, but the wilderness medicine program. Uh, at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Who is that for? That's a great question. So it's for anyone who wants to go into a healthcare-related career. We've had nursing students take it. We've had students who are interested in PA school take it. We've had students who are interested in med school take it. So I, I say it's sort of the next step in the evolution of your career in deciding what do I want to do um, with this sort of call to medicine so yeah and it's not just in colorado you guys have a program in costa rica too that that i haven't been invited to yet but uh, maybe one day <laughs> maybe one day we also have one off the coast of the channel islands and that's in california yeah the channel islands are in a national are a national park off the coast of california yeah. southern california to be exact yeah so lots of fun things uh lots of fun places where students can go go hang out in the woods for a week running from bears and trying to trying to treat people. So, in Costa Rica, they're more hanging out on the beach. Yes, that's much more but, fun. Um, so as an emergency medicine physician, both with dealing with these students in the wilderness medicine course, but also random students who may reach out and contact the emergency medicine department, et cetera, to, to find a shadowing, let's start with kind of reaching out and and how to find shadowing to begin with. I think that's the biggest hang up for a lot of students, especially more introverted students is, well, how am I supposed to find somebody to shadow if I don't know a physician? So I think that's a great question. And I was brainstorming before we did this podcast and I came up with a whole list of like 15 different ideas. Nice. Um, so I... The most basic way um, is that everyone should have their own personal doctor. Um, and frankly, you can ask to shadow them. I remember asking to shadow my primary care doc when I was thinking about going to med school. And they said, yes. And I showed up and shadowed them for a while. <laughs> so I think the very most basic um, is that you can uh, you can ask your own physician if they have ideas about shadowing and if they have um, 
any either them or one of their colleagues that um that could allow you to shadow should so, should they be doing this like mid pap smear going hey doc uh <laughs> while i have you do you, you have a, a spare minute for me to shadow so i think um that's probably not the ideal time to do it i think you could do a number of things so i probably wouldn't like make a doctor's visit to discuss shadowing i think if you were there for a doctor's visit, you could bring it up. Another way to do it would be to call the office um, and tell the office that uh, you want to, you know, give the office manager a heads up like, hey, I'm interested in going to medical school. I want to shadow. Um, and I was wondering if Dr. So-and-so could call me back to discuss it. Yeah. Okay. What else you got on your list? So that's only one. The second thing is I think you can reach out to your broader social circle. So um, family, friends, mentors, you know, and say, does anyone know a doc that allows shadowing or know any shadowing opportunities? Um, and I think that's another way to start um, broadening your social circle um, and looking for shadowing opportunities. But all of those rely on um, like personal contacts you have. So what if you have no contacts, like you were raised um, and you've never met a doctor in your entire life mm -hmm. um, and no one you know knows a doctor? I think that's pretty unlikely to be perfectly honest, but at the same time, let's make that assumption. Um, it's, so it's, you still it's likely, it's very likely. I talk to a lot of students who grow up in rural and underserved areas, uh, a lot of immigrants, they they don't have that kind of exposure. And I think it it kind of continues the cycle of less immigrants applying to medical school because they're, they're not getting the exposure they need. I think that that's probably a valid and fair point. Um, I do think everyone should have a primary care doc. Yep. So, uh, and all your family and friends should have primary care docs too. So, yeah. but that's just my own personal view that primary care doctors save lives um, and keep us all healthy. So moving on, the next opportunity would be to shadow. Um, to find shadowing opportunities would be to do things like look for volunteering opportunities. So I was an undergrad. I volunteered in the emergency room at Ohio state. I mainly saw stocked medical kits, um, but it still let me meet people and start to like make connections um, to, to identify more shadowing opportunities. So I think volunteering and people think, Oh, I can only volunteer at the big hospitals. That's what I thought too. I also think you can look for, like more community-based um, volunteering opportunities in medicine. So if there's like a local clinic near you um, that has a lot of kids, I wonder if you could, you know, um, look to volunteer there. Um, I had one friend um, who's now a labor and delivery um, nurse, but she actually used to volunteer at Planned Parenthood to walk patients to and from the cars um, to help them feel supported if they were having to walk through protesters. So I think being creative about where you can volunteer and, you know, cause the last thing you want to do is like have some volunteer opportunity where you're just sitting there and no one has any real task for you. And you're just like, you know, checking off a box on your CV, like, Oh, I volunteered. That's not a good use of your time. Yeah. Um, and that's not really helping anyone, including it's not helping you consider if you want to do this as a career. So I think that um, opening kind of the horizons to where you volunteer and trying to be creative about that is another opportunity. Um, I still have a lot more to go though. So 
Another way people um, get shadowing is through actually paid jobs. And there's a lot of opportunity here for undergraduate students. So you can scribe, right? So we have scribes in my emergency department. They, um, most of them are undergrads who want to go to medical school. And they um, hang out um, and they do documentation. And then they're, you know, it's their job to essentially be there in the ED um, scribing, but also shadowing. Um, because they follow me everywhere they go. Mm -hmm. So other now, things. I'll, can... I'll put a small asterisk on that. Cause a lot of students ask this question when it comes to applications and how do you, how do you categorize scribing on an application and scribing is, is technically for an application considered clinical experience and not shadowing since they are different categories, but a lot of medical schools, if, especially if you're lacking shadowing, if you have a lot of scribe experience, they'll go, okay, that's, that's okay. That kind of makes up for the lack of, of quote unquote shadowing. I guess that's, yeah. I mean, that's valid. I would say shadowing is another way you, or sorry, scribing is another way you meet physicians. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you get to know a lot of the doctors. I know a lot of the scribes quite well. Um, and then you can use sort of that connection to create volunteer um or to create shadowing opportunities yep. other jobs kind of in that vein so like ems um you know like office billing a reception for a medical office a medical assistant all of those sort of fall into that same chunk of like um paid clinical opportunities and you know the same thing like you're getting um, opportunities to see how medicine works. You're getting paid to do it. Um, you're getting to make connections and meet people that you could talk to about shadowing opportunities. Um, and one more I think is a lot less common, but I throw in there would be research opportunities that involve um, clinical, you know, exposure to clinical care. So um, I was a research assistant before I went to med school. And one of my jobs was to go into the operating room and collect the primary tumor samples. And so people, you know, like the surgeons would um, take a portion of it for pathology, but a portion of it was going to our research lab. And the patients were all consented in advance. Like we want a portion of your tumor um, to use it to study. And obviously they were consented for the risks and benefits, but in order to get the tumor and to get it fresh and have like the best research value out of it, I was physically standing in the operating room sterile for the entire duration of the case until the tumor came out. And then I left because yeah. um, I was taking that sample with me. So that, that was a paid opportunity, but, you know, had me in and out of the operating rooms, like watching the surgical teams and seeing how they, they functioned as a group. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of students look at clinical research coordinator as a, as a job and that's a, an amazing job. And I tell students for that, for their application to split it up. That one is like, a part of your time, you're sitting there watching, you're sitting in the room waiting uh, for the physician and and um, letting him or her kind of do their thing while you're waiting so that you can take the patient to the next thing that they have to do for the research. And all of that is shadowing. You just got to split it up on your application. But that's an amazing experience. Definitely. I definitely agree. Um, I think, you know, other opportunities. So, for example, the class I teach um, the students shadowed through that. And I say the same thing to every single one of them that comes through and maybe 5% of them take me up on it, which is that, you know, you shadowed some during the duration of this class, but at the same time, um, if you ever want to come back and shadow, like by all means, just 
email me and I'm happy to have you come back. Um, and some of them definitely take me up on that. And I work part-time in the ED and part-time in a travel clinic. So some of them come back um, and shadow me in travel clinic in addition to shadowing me in the ED. Now, a, so. a physician's job is hard. There's lots of work. There's lots of dealing with patients and families and lots of documentation. And I know physicians who don't always like having student shadow because it just adds another layer of things to do and, and somebody to look out for and, and to answer questions. What's what's your take on kind of physicians and and how fun it is for them to have a student shadow them? I think that's a valid point. Like it, it adds extra work to it. Um, so I think there's sort of two responsibilities here. So as a practicing physician um, in a medical school setting, I think I have an ethical responsibility to kind of like the next generation um, to, to, you know, like people that talk to me about medicine as a career and, um, you know, people provided me information like to sort of give them the step up um, because we need future doctors. That's the first thing. But I think the students have a responsibility, not, not just to the doctor they're shadowing, but to the patient that the doctor is caring for to like um, shadow in a manner that is ethical and appropriate um, and as unintrusive as possible. So I think that I have a responsibility to the student. The student has a somewhat of a responsibility to me, which I think is pales in comparison to the responsibility I feel they have to the patient. Yeah. Does that make sense? Definitely. Okay. So, and there's w ways I handle it. So how I handle it, um, there is some, uh, some literature out there like that argues about the ethics of having students shadow and so on and so forth. So I'm in an academic setting. So patients are used to like a big team-based approach in the emergency department. And they're used to lots of people being involved in their care. Um, and we always introduce ourselves. And sometimes I think that becomes overwhelming. But when I take a student shadower with me, I walk into the room first and I always have the scribe with me too. And I say, you know, so this and so-and-so, um, they're one of our scribes. They're here to do documentation. And then I say, I also have a student who... Um, is interested in pursuing a healthcare related career and is thinking about going to medical school. Are you comfortable if um, they're here watching? And 90% of the time they say yes, 10% of the time they say no. And um, at that point, like it's not open for debate. I just say to the student, can you please leave the room? Um, and I've never had a student do anything other than just immediately walk out. I would caveat that I do not do that for very sensitive cases. So if we're going to do like a sensitive part of the body exam, like, you know, breast or um, like genitals, if we're talking about something that's really sensitive, like, you know, domestic abuse or, you know, assault to a child or um, I mean, I could probably keep thinking of a whole host of other things like, you know, psychiatric illness um, that I don't think the patient feels comfortable discussing in a big group setting, then SCDs, all of those, then same thing. I don't even, um, propose it to the patient. Like, Hey, I'm going to have a student shadower. I just say to the student shadower, like, Hey, we're, you're not going to be going into the room for this one. Um, so that, uh, the patient doesn't have to feel uncomfortable ever saying no. So. Okay. So, uh, Lots of great opportunities there, different places to look for shadowing. 
how is a student supposed to make that initial outreach, right? We talked a little bit about kind of a student talking to their own primary care doctor, but what if it's like, hey, my, uh, my brother's girlfriend's dad or whatever is a physician and I, I need to do some cold outreach to him or her um, to, to uh, ask for shadowing. What does that process look like? What have you seen as kind of good ways that students have reached out to you versus bad ways? So that's a great question. So if there's some type of connection, hopefully the person who um, is the connection point between all of you um, can like send an introductory email. Like I get these all the time, like, Hey, Dr. Reno, I'm sending you a student. So-and-so here's kind of their interest. Would you take the time to like, see if you have anything to offer them essentially. Um, and usually that comes from whatever, whoever is like the connection point between you two. Um, and then if you're going to cold email them or follow, um, up to that email, uh, then the next step you want to do is, um, you want short, um, you want it to the point, but you want it very polite and respectful. So first of all, you should always refer to them as doctor. Like you're, not on a first name basis with them. And even if you are in like a formal communication, refer to them as doctor. That's the first thing. Um, I would be polite. I'd state my purpose in like one paragraph. And then at the end, I'd give them contact information, like please email me at this address or call me at this address. Um, and then I would attach my CV to the end of it. Um, not in the text of the email, but as an attachment with a notification that if you want to learn more about me, like, um, here's my CV. Uh, and you want your CV to be like pretty polished looking at that point because you're giving it out. You're like sending it out into the world as a marker of yourself. Okay. Does that sound reasonable? I think so. Definitely. So, and then the other thing I say is, you know, I, I don't know how many emails I get a day. I don't know how many you get a day a lot. I think it is reasonable to send one follow-up email saying like, dear Dr. So-and-so, like, you know, thank you for your time or thank you for the, taking the time to read this email. Um, I sent you a prior email um, and I was wondering if, um, you know, if you'd had a chance to read it and if how you felt about shadowing opportunities. And then, um, you know, um, I'd be like something like in their court, like um, if you feel like that's a possibility, please let me know. And after that, if you don't get anything back, I drop it. So, because the last thing you want to do is like, uh, if someone, you don't want to annoy someone or like burn bridges, um, anything like that. There's lots of people out there to shadow. Like sometimes you have to let some of the opportunities pass you by. So it's not like you go and hang out in the parking lot when they come out of the clinic. <laughs> like, you never responded to my emails. Please tell me. Yeah. This is not like after a rock concert where you're trying to get the uh, <laughs> like guitarist to, I don't know, sign your sock. I almost got run so, over by a, a major league baseball player after a baseball game trying to get an autograph. Um, <laughs> oh, well. I mean, the biggest question I have there was like, clearly the major league baseball player was in the car. And he he was. Not. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting. Were you and- like like laying in front of his tires no jumping on his hood no he just was in a hurry apparently his wife was in the hospital giving birth or something it's somewhat important i guess less important than you getting your (laughs) autograph yes that's okay 
All right. So, um, so follow up emails definitely huge. Uh, as as you know, as I know, as as almost everyone should know now, emails are kind of coming fast and furious for everyone, and then especially for physicians where they're just um, just so busy following up on emails and keeping track of them is is hard. So a a courteous follow up email is definitely something that is uh, something that is okay. Um. So what about uh, if you don't have, right? We, you talked about kind of that warm uh, handoff to somebody uh, that, that you may know. What about reaching out? Let's say uh, the student doesn't know anyone and is just kind of going through uh, the phone book. <laughs> if anyone knows what a phone book <laughs> is these days. Uh, and five, Maybe Google. Yeah, tri- AAA Pediatrics and uh, wants to reach out to Dr. Smith at AAA Pediatrics. What what should that interaction look like? I think that's a great question. So um, it really depends on what contact information you have. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in a specific area. Um, so the first thing I'd say is like, start with clinics. Like you're not, you've never shadowed before. Like you don't need to start day one with being like, I'm going to go watch the next heart transplant. Um but I would I would start with clinics and I'd probably start looking around like um, places that are known for education, like um, medical schools, things like that. If you can get someone's email address, I, I don't think I'd like spam every single email address I could find. But you could pick two or three. You could sort of research like what specific they, thing they do. Um, and I I wouldn't start with stuff like psychiatry, you know, I'd probably start with more like family medicine, um, things like that, that not that it's less sensitive things discussed, but, um, uh, but it, you know, it might be a better setting to start in. Um, and I just do the same thing. I'd like send an email and be like, you know, I apologize for bothering you. Like my name is so-and-so I'm interested in a healthcare related career. You know, I want to go to medical school and like give them a one paragraph about you, ask them if they're open to having shadowing students. Um, and then I concluded the same way, like, thank you for taking the time to read my email. Um, if this is something, you know, you'd be interested in allowing or um, uh, please contact me at the information below. And then I would attach my CV, same thing. And then I'd be short, polite to the point. Um, Without, I guess, aggressive, I like without being too aggressive or pushy, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So being polite, I think, is one of the key things there. Um, yeah, that's sort of like a life point. It is huge. <laughs> and and being short and to, and to the point, I think, is huge because I'll get random emails from from students who they, they send me like 4,000 word just tomes of here's my life story and here's everything going on and blah, 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 blah. And I get to the end and literally I'm like, where's the question? I, I don't see a question anywhere. It's like when you, you know, when you were a med student and you got taught to call, call consults and they were like, what's your clinical question? Yeah. It's the same thing. What is your question? <laughs> Just because you have a patient doesn't mean I need to come see them. Oh man. Okay. That's not how my universe works as the ED doc, but yeah, uh, I see you. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. 
We have a lucky winner. Student gets approval from the physician, come show up in the clinic on Tuesday. And now all of a sudden the student is searching the forms and going on the pre-med hangout going, okay, my foreshadowing opportunity is coming up. Now, what do I do? I see them all panic constantly and they get lots of advice. Some of it is terrible. (laughs) All right. So what would you give as advice for a student who is, is having their foreshadowing experience? So first, um, you need to do all the required stuff at front, up front. So for a student to shadow me, they have to have done like HIPAA training through the hospital, through the volunteer services, and they have to have done it in advance. So if you show up to shadow me, I say, have you done your HIPAA training um, through the volunteer office? And if they say no, then you're done. Like it's yep. over. Um, so, so you have to make sure that whatever you're required to do needs to be done before you show up. Do not plan on showing up there that day and just doing all your paperwork. Like one, it makes you look terribly unprepared. And two, like, I don't have time to walk you through your paperwork. Like we're rolling. <laughs> um, and so if you show up and you're, you tell me you haven't done the appropriate things through the volunteer office, then I just, I, I tell you to go home. Like, you know, I'm not gonna, like that paperwork is legally required. Like I'm, I'm not gonna violate um, those terms of the hospital. Mm. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is please eat breakfast, um, <laughs> or lunch or whatever the meal is prior. Like if you're an intermittent faster, or like you never eat breakfast, it's going to be a very different scenario. Like you want to be fed and hydrated because the last thing you want to do is pass out. We don't, um, we don't need any more patients. <laughs> so the next thing Um, and this is crucial because if I once had a student show up in shorts, um, and the, the charge nurse says all started texting me, uh, um, and some like Reno, what is your student doing? Like Reno, there's some dude in shorts here who says he's, he's here to shadow you. So, um, I say business professional. I see it often on the forums. People are like, I'm going to wear scrubs. So Scrubs are very risky because a lot of hospitals have rules about scrubs um, in clinical areas. Like they have to be certain colors and certain colors mean certain things. I say business professional. First of all, it looks better because everyone looks kind of sloppy in scrubs. Um, they're sort of like adult uncomfortable pajamas. And business professional is not a suit. But for guys, it is probably a shirt and tie. It is collared and it is long sleeved and it is a belt with long pants. For women, it is harder. Um, I, I say the um, women fashion is just trickier, unfortunately. Yeah. It's the bane of my existence. <laughs> so I say no heels because you're going to be moving fast and you want to be able to walk. Um, and I don't think heels are great in a clinical setting. If you're going to wear a skirt, um, it needs to hit below your knees. Like this is this is like you are dressing as if you are going to tea with the queen. <laughs> with the queen. Or Catholic school. One or the other. Never went to Catholic school, <laughs> nor actually have I had tea with the queen. But <laughs> like you, you are, you want to be polished, presentable, and conservative. So but Elaine, classic- that, that goes against everything I see online on Instagram with, with these... Uh, pictures of men and women in their white coats <laughs> wearing I don't know what. Uh, apparently, that that's not to shadowing, right? I'm assuming. No, you <laughs> shadowing is like interviewing. Like you're there to look 
yeah, like you, you, you don't want to look particularly fashionable. You want to look particularly conservative and respectable if that makes. And so the things I see women do, um, that, um, the most common is it's like too short, too tight or too low cut. Those are like the three things, um, that I think I see are like the mistakes that, um, women make. I don't know as much about men's fashion because I just don't. Yeah. So my husband's an engineer, which means, I don't know, they all dress terribly. <laughs> they all dress terribly with pocket protectors. I don't know. It's like pleated plants, pants have never gone out of style in the engineering <laughs> world. I'm sorry. Uh, whatever my mom put me in when I was 17 is what I continue to buy. <laughs> Dockers with pleats. That's all right. They're they're so. busy saving the world, so that's okay. Um. So, all right. So we talked about fashion showing up, doing paperwork, making sure all of that stuff is done. They get there. They're following you around. They have their iPhone out because they're frantically taking notes and and doing a bunch of stuff. What does that look like? So the first thing I tell the students is turn off your phone. Like, because one, you don't want anyone to call you. Um, And two... Uh, there are very specific rules on phones in healthcare settings. Um, and so your phone should just be off. Like you don't need to be taking pictures. You don't need to be on Instagram. You don't need to be on Facebook. The second thing is the note taking. It's actually not allowed in a lot of healthcare settings for shadowers to take notes. Um, and that might have been in like a large shadowing packet that someone gave you and you maybe didn't line item read and highlight all the important points. And so Note-taking is a no in a lot of clinical settings, and so I just say don't do it. And it's because it's a HIPAA violation or there's concern for HIPAA violation there. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think both of those things um, merit uh, discussion. The other thing is that I see um, is a mistake I've seen over and over again is you should never post anything about anything related to a patient on any social media site under any circumstances. Like the exclusion criteria to that is your own personal medicalness. Like if you are going through something medical related and you are posting on Facebook, like, you know, I broke my leg, that is fine. But if you post about anyone else that you see in any sort of healthcare setting for any reason, even if you think it's de-identified, it's just don't do it. Like too many people get in trouble for it. It's just a bad call. It's not, it's not Facebook worth the just consequences. doesn't need to know about it. <laughs> yeah. But, so, or Instagram. Yeah. Or but, Snapchat. But if you, you, you don't have a picture, then it didn't happen. That's a rule. Yeah. That's not true though. Cause it will have <laughs> happened on your CV. It will have happened on your CV and it may have happened if you put it out there that you have a big fine, apparently uh, knocking at your door. Yeah. There's a, it's a great way to get in trouble. Yeah. I, I had a, um, a talking to, at, at one point I posted something a long time ago. This was many years ago, um, completely de-identified. And one of the physicians, uh, from my medical school reached out to me. We were still in contact and he's like, he's like, I can see that it's de-identified, but that image is so unique. If the, if the patient ever saw it and said, Hey, that's me. Like that's identifiable and you'll get in trouble still. Yeah, that's totally true. Like weird tattoos, weird clinical stories, all of that. Yep. So like 
Don't do it. I, weird is the wrong word, but identifiable, like mm-hmm. anything particularly unique. Yep. Okay. So um, if the patient can I identify it, even if it's de-identified, it's a HIPAA violation, which yep. means if you like post a picture of their toe and they're like, that's my toe. <laughs> then... I know my toe anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even I, when it's I off know. my body on a tray. I know my toe from a mile away. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. Um, students oftentimes when they're shadowing, they feel awkward. Like, can I talk? Can I ask questions? When should I ask questions? What's your advice to them in that situation? So, um, this is hard because a lot of it is timing and a lot of it is sort of like reading, um, the room and reading, uh, like reading kind of what's going on. I think that there are clearly bad times to ask questions, like when the team's really busy or something's happening. That's a good time to store up your questions in your brain. Um, when there's obvious downtime, like if I do a coffee run, I always take my try and take my student shadowers with me um, because that's a great time, like to get to know them a little bit, and also, you know, um, like there's like it's a good time to. Um, get their questions out and things like that. So I think it's really just about reading the room and reading kind of what's going on and utilizing that opportunity um, when you feel like there's downtime to ask questions. The other thing I'd caveat is sometimes it's just really busy and there's no good time to ask questions. And just because it's quiet doesn't mean, um, like sometimes it, I get really quiet when I'm running the board or I'm just thinking and Sometimes that's not a great time to ask questions because you're like breaking someone's train of thought. Yeah. So do you think those are good ground rules to set if the physician doesn't bring it up for the the student to say, just just so I'm clear, when is when do you like, if at all, questions being asked, et cetera? Yeah, I think that setting the ground is perfectly fine. Like, hey, is there can you think of a good time to ask questions? Or a better time would be like, um, a better thing might be to say like, hey, if we get a pause, would you tell me that it's a good time for me yeah. to ask questions? Because when I have like a natural break, like we're going to get coffee, um, I always ask the students, do you have questions about, you know, what we've seen and done? But um, sometimes I forget, I'm sure. And so so asking them um, t- to to identify a good opportunity for questions is another way to handle that. Okay. All right. So the student has a great day, doesn't put their foot in their mouth, doesn't pass out and leaves and wants to then turn around and follow up with that physician in some way, whether it's through an email, a letter, or some small gift that students think they need to provide to physicians. What, what are ways that students can say thank you? So I would avoid gifts. Me too. <laughs> um, if you're desperate to give a gift, you should never give it directly to the physician. I would like send cookies to the office. Yeah. They have to be cookies or something like that, that you didn't bake because we're all leery of like, <laughs> gifts from like, uh, you know, um, like it need to be from a bakery or something like that. But all of that I think is unnecessary. I think the appropriate thing to do is to email the physician and say, thank you for providing me the opportunity to shadow like one paragraph. Like, you know, I had, here's what I learned about medicine. Like, 
again, don't put anything HIPAA in it. Like that case we saw was fabulous. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was Patient so cool. Patient Smith, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but medical like record just, number one, four, five, six, nine. <laughs> yeah. Celebrity patient. Oh, so-and-so. Yeah. Um, but just send a, sh- and it doesn't need to be a letter. Like half the time I feel like letters probably don't get where they're intended. Yep. Um, just send them an email and say, thank you. Um, and then the other thing I do actually is because you want the shattering experience to be valuable. Um, for you, and I already told you, you're not allowed to sit there and write down a list of all the patient diagnoses you saw, um, but you are allowed to like go have a personal reflection moment um, and even maybe like jot down some thoughts, not on like, you know, patient celebrity X has this disease, but on like, you know, how you felt and how the experience um, encourage you um to pursue healthcare or is making you re-question that decision mm-hmm. essentially journaling around your own personal experiences in regards to this shadowing experience which is something that you can then use later in your personal statement or secondaries yeah so. thousand percent i think journaling is something that students need to do more of to to be able to reflect on their uh, applications I've never um, kept a journal, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should start because you never know what <laughs> a thing you're going to be applying for next. Uh, right, I'll start journaling. <laughs> um, so, oops, hold on one second. I don't know why the sound is coming through. Let's see if that works. Um, all right, you still got me? Yeah, I'm still here. All right. So what about in that in that kind of follow-up email? How can a student kind of plant the seed to say, how about next time? Right. Can we do this again? Can we go on a second date? Um, well, I would definitely not phrase it as, can we go on a second <laughs> date? Because that is sure uh, to get you never invited back. Um, I think while you're there, you could be like, I really you know, thank you. I really enjoyed the opportunity. Um, you know, let me know if there's more shadowing opportunities and you can say something to that effect in the follow-up email. My hospital has like a certain number of hours. And so I literally let them shadow up until the hourage where they like meet it. And then I'm like, okay, you're never allowed to ever shadow again. (laughs) Peace out. Good luck. (laughs) Let me know how it goes. Okay. I mean, not that abrupt, but I, I love to hear back from the students actually. Like they're like, you know, some, um, in the class I teach a lot of them, like either friend me on Instagram or Facebook, or, um, the class has like a pre-med group and then they'll go on to like big adventurous things. And the class has been going on for about five years now. So the first round has finished med school and is going into residency. It's like so exciting to see them growing up like little bunnies off into the world. (laughs) Yeah. But what about, uh, okay, Dr. Reno, thanks for letting me shadow you, shadow you for the for that one day way back when. Um, can I have a letter of recommendation now? Yeah, so I think that's really hard. So if you want a letter of recommendation, I think you should um, set it up front. I think one day of shadowing is not going to give you a good letter of recommendation. Like yeah. people that um, get, like I write, so with the class, sometimes I travel to Costa Rica with the students and then I spend 
two weeks, like living in a jungle setting with them, getting to know them, like reading their personal statements, sitting down with them one-on-one. Um, and I've written letters for a lot of them because I know them quite well and I know how they perform and like a very stressful um, setting where they're being challenged. I think you want your letter writers to know you well. And I don't think one day of shadowing is remotely sufficient. I agree. Okay. But and I, I like setting up that expectation. has to be one of the hardest. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say getting letters has to be um, one of the hardest uh, like possible things that pre-meds do. Yeah. Is there anything else about shadowing we haven't talked about? Um, well, one thing to do is to never piss anyone off. <laughs> That's always the goal. It's a good life Don't, lesson. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an achievable life lesson, <laughs> nope. but it's certainly a good one. So um, trying not to piss anyone off, um, making sure you're on time, um, that you're polite, that you're prepared, um, stuff like that, I, I think is valuable. Packing snacks. That's like my other big important point um, is because you don't want to be like nine hours into it and you're like, I'm going to pass out if I don't eat something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's the best. Oh, and for people who think they're going to be in a setting where they can wear scrubs, I would still dress business casual and pack scrubs. I mean, there is like, it's not like there's going to be no bathrooms for you to change. Yeah. So. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for those shadowing tips. And if people want to find out more about the wilderness medicine course, where can they go for that? Uh, They can go um, to www.coloradowm.org. And it's under the pre-med. It's, oh gosh, I should have looked up the title. It's like the pre-med. Yeah. Um, course. Is there a yeah. way to put it in the show notes? The, it'll be in the show notes or because I'm super fancy, you can text the word wild med to 44222 and you'll get a link right on your phone. Oh, that is the fanciest thing I've ever <laughs> heard. Wait, I need that number. Wild med to 44222. 44222. All right. So there you have it. Shadowing 101. This is the the ultimate shadowing guidebook, how to be a good shadow, not step on the toes of your attending physician. I hope you got some good information out of this podcast today that will help you excel, help you stand out while you are shadowing. And don't forget, go check out findshadowing.com, bookmark that link, go back to it often and see if it's available. See if it's open. See if you can find a physician yet uh, as you are listening to this. We are, uh, I'm recording this uh, mid-July 2019, and we're hoping to start onboarding physicians here in the next week or two. So we will start getting physicians into the database. And as soon as we start doing that, we will open it up to students as well. If you know a physician who you think would be great for findshadowing.com, just send them the link. They can go and sign up all by themselves. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.
This is MedEd Media.